Head down as I punched his clock. Hours roll, they never stop. And I can't ever seem to get ahead. Always trying to do what's right. Straight and narrows getting tight. Don't know how much longer I can stand. And I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering, where's my promised land? Toby Mac, you're in trouble. We're coming after you. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Ed Hires. I'm one of the pastors here at Shiloh. And today, you have this choice. I have two titles. You can pick whichever one you want. So the first one is Promised Land versus Land of Promises or GPS, Manchester to the Promised Land. <laughs> now, you've wondered, Ed... Do you know where the promised land is? I do. It's in Pennsylvania. 
So it's a four hour and 35 minute drive, not too bad to get to the promised land, 293 miles. And in case, uh, oh, by the way, it's uh, Promised Land State Park in, uh, in Pennsylvania. So in case you haven't guessed it yet, the topic we're going to be talking about is Promised Land. You're absolutely right. Love that song by Toby Mac. Uh, I love Toby Mac. Um, so I had decided to do a message. God was speaking to me about the Promised Land. So I'm riding in my car, have the Christian radio station on, and all of a sudden this song comes out, and they say it's a new song by Toby Mac, newer song. And I listened to her, I say, oh my goodness. So that was confirmation. God, you must want me to share something on the promised land. So I, first uh, verses, first lyrics, head down as I punch this clock, hours roll, they never stop, and I can't ever seem to get ahead. Always trying to do what's right, straight and narrows, getting tight. Don't know how much longer I can stand. And I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering, where is my promised land? So we're going to refer back to this song later on in the message, at the end of the message. But I like to define things when I give a message. I think it helps us to understand a little better what we're talking about. So I looked up the definition of promised land, which, believe it or not, that particular term is in Merriam-Webster's. And here's what it says. A place or condition believed to promise final satisfaction or realization of hopes. Now, I think that is a great definition of, of how to define the promised land. Final satisfaction or realization of hopes. You know, wouldn't you and I love that to be a part of, of our life, that we have final satisfaction and fulfillment of all of our hopes, that we realize them all? But another one there is this key that says, believe to, all right? So I don't know about you, but have you ever in your life Believe that achieving something or having something would go a long way to giving you great satisfaction and fulfillment of your hopes, all your hopes. Only to find out when you got it, you were wrong. Again. So remember the old saying, or maybe you don't, that having climbed the ladder of success, you get to the top and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. So how about you? Have you ever had something like that? I know Gary Wallace has. It was a car. Lunch or better coupe. We won't go into that. For me, back a long time ago, when I was first in business, I had a partner uh, who would become my spiritual mentor. But at the time, he wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. And, and I didn't realize this, but he got saved. And he, he started to act weird. And and he, you know, he's, I, I figured he had religion. So there's this other guy in the firm that was very worldly. And I decided that, you know what? I need to make more money. I need to be more successful. Jack's going a weird way. I'm going to go this way. And this guy's going to really help me. We're going to go in partnership. And he's going to help me really be successful. Well, he took me down so many paths that were wrong. It was unbelievable. And in the scheme of life, not only did he make me successful, I ended up supporting him with income that I didn't really have to support him. So fortunately, God's grace took me away from that and took me to, uh, to a relationship with Jack that ultimately literally saved my life. But I know there are other ones out here that this is your scenario as well, that you've had these things. So I could call on any of you, but I'm going to pick a couple of you that I know you a little bit, so I know you're going to have something. And this is first Mike Shaughnessy. You all know Mike. He's a great guy. And I've known Mike for a lot of years. So Mike, I know you have screwed up a lot in your life. So <laughs> can you pick one thing and tell us about how 
doing it or accomplishing something, you thought you, this would be it. This was the end all be all. You've you got to have some. Well, athletics definitely was a, uh, a promised land for me. It wasn't so much an education, but it was in athletics and looking into going to professional. Uh, but at the top of my game, figuring that this was my ticket, um, that's when I got hurt, and that was all gone. But not only was that gone, my military career, when I was in ROTC, I, I went to the um, Portsmouth Naval Hospital, not knowing that my military career, which was in front of me, ended in about one second after the surgeon looked at my left knee and he twisted it and he said, you're out of the service. So I had not, all my hopes and dreams for my future were gone, period. Everything was just, you know, all the things I thought that were going to bring achievement and success and, you know, all that sort of stuff, mm. gone. All right. Well, we know there's an end to that story. That's good. But Steve, where are you? Oh, you're over there. So Steve is another guy I know really well. Number of things he can choose. So Steve, <laughs> give us just one today now. All right, when I was 22 years old, I had moved to California and met my future wife and her brother-in-law had it all. He was the Orange County Sheriff. He had the perfect family, perfect everything. He uh, made a difference in people's lives. He had a pension. He had a great salary. He had benefits, and I wanted that. So I applied for the Orange County Sheriff. So I went through the written exam, went through the physical exam, went through all my interviews. And the last interview that I had, or the last test, was a psych, psychological exam, which I thought I would pass. Um, but two days before that, I was let go of my job, and I was really angry about it. So I took my psych test, and after it was done, they called me, and they said, you're angry. It shows up. What happened? And I explained to them what happened, and they said, you know, we feel it would be better if you wait a year and start the process all over. Um, so I lost my hope of that, and I didn't have a job. So it left me out in the cold. So. All right. Wow. I can't imagine you as a sheriff. Huh? <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, I could imagine it, but. Seems different. All right. So I could go around to a number of you, and I don't need that. Uh, and a number of you would find that if you thought about it, you have had some times like that. So today, we're going to look at this promised land that actually does fulfill all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our, we get total satisfaction. And there's going to be three things we're going to look at. And, and the first point is that there are many analogies we can make between the Old Testament promised land and the New Testament promised land. And many of them are the exact opposite. So, in the Old Testament, the promised land was a physical place. And it was here on earth. Exodus 3.17, And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Wow, a lot of ites. A land flowing with milk and honey. You see, this land was extremely good, fertile land, the best land around. But here was the issue. It had boundaries, okay? It was subject to all kinds of issues that places on this earth are subject to. 
For example, it had constant tending that would have be needed over time. It had drought, it had fires, it had insects, it had heat, it had cold, it had sickness. It had a need to grow food and sometimes couldn't grow enough food to feed everybody. However, in the New Testament promised land, it's also a place. Right now, that place is up in heaven. It will eventually be here. It'll come down. And, and here's what Hebrews 13, 14 says. For here on earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In Philippians 3, Paul says this. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he knew that the Savior would come the first time. He was awaiting this second coming. And guess what? In the promised land, there is what? No drought, right? No damaging fires. No insects, I don't think, but if there are, they don't bite, all right? No annoying temperature changes. No freezing, no sickness. And look, God knows all, right? So he made us, right? And he made us to love to eat, okay? So he knows that when we, we get to heaven, all of us, you know, we're all together, that we're going to have this amazing gala banquet that he's going to serve. Yeah, it's just going to be amazing. Christians love to gather and eat. And, and here's a question. I get weird questions sometimes in my head. So I wonder just how good will angel food cake really be in heaven? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. The next analogy in, in these analogies is this, and it's an important one. Before the Jews were able to enter the promised land, they spent 40 years in a desert. And, and none of the individuals that were alive when that started, that were over 20, would make it into the promised land. They would die in the desert. Why? Because of their sin of unbelief. They didn't believe God could keep them safe in the promised land. They decided it was better to reject what God said and not go. So here's the analogy when we take this and go to the New Testament. The New Testament we still go through a desert. And that desert is while we're here on earth, analogy-wise. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, we are guaranteed to get into the promised land, and none of us have to spiritually die while we live through this desert time on earth. We don't, why don't we have to die for our sins? Because there was a perfect sacrifice. His name was Jesus. He was the Christ. He already died for us. So without Jesus, we would end up the same way that the Jews did. We would die in this wilderness, not just physically, but spiritually. And that takes us to our second point. And an analogy that is true today, just as it was back then, just a lot different from the situation that the Jews faced in a physical promised land. And our second point is, there were and there are giants in the land. So Jews, the Jews of that time, faced giants in their promised land. Interestingly enough, they didn't face enemies in the desert. We don't hear about them struggling through wars and all kinds of stuff. They didn't. They had this great 
position of, of peace and God's presence that awaited them in the promised land. God's wisdom, God's favor. But in the New Testament, Jesus has already defeated our enemy. We receive his peace, his favor, and his wisdom when we accept him. In fact, in the New Testament, we actually have God living within us in the form of the Holy Spirit. But unlike the Jews, we're facing our enemies, not that they're not defeated, but we're facing our enemies while we're in our desert. We don't face them in the promised land. Hebrews 4, 8, 9 says this, Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. This is in our New Testament writing, in Hebrews referring to a day to come. See, when we all get to heaven, which is our eternal promised land, all the enemies, there will be no enemies, including the last enemy, which is death that is defeated. See, while God had promised the Jews their promised land, it didn't come without its costs. They had to fight for it. Many died because of that, even though they were believing God at that point. And guess what? In the New Testament, as I mentioned, we fight also, but, but we don't fight the way they fought. We don't fight physically. We fight spiritually. Paul in Ephesians 6 tells us about that. He tells us to put on the whole armor of God, and he compares it to natural uh, armor. But he talks about how that armor, what it represents in the spiritual. And, and unlike the Jews, we have victory guaranteed in that. In fact, victory is already had. See, Jesus defeated Satan and all of the demons. And as a result of that, we are saved from any eternal damnation or death. But make no mistake, we will fight while we're here. See, Satan still has the right to tempt you and me. John says he comes, what, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But what? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But again, make no mistake, on this earth, we will fight battles. Sometimes for Christians, we count that as kind of strange. When the Bible says, don't count it strange. Now, the good news is, we don't, from a spiritual standpoint, we don't have any physical enemies. We have spiritual enemies. And, and sometimes, I believe one of the most important, one of the most significant ways the enemy tricks you and I is in this area. Let's read in, in Ephesians 6. Again, Paul talking, for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule in this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. I mean, I don't think it can be much more clear. All right. First of all, it says we fight. All right, And then it talks about that what we fight against, nothing in the natural, no flesh and blood, no issues here on earth. It's all about the enemy attacking you and me from all different directions. But we have this power. So here's a question. Who makes you mad? What makes you mad? How come you're discouraged at times? What causes you to fear, to worry, to have anxiety? Is there an event from your past that you just don't seem to be able to get over? Is there a situation currently 
that you're finding it very difficult to cope with. It is so easy to lose sight of the fact that in every one of those situations, all of those negative emotions, all of those concerns are all spiritually driven and your enemy is not in front of you. It's not your spouse. It's not this one. You see, all of our energy enemies are spiritual beings. And here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to convince you and me that we have natural enemies. If we as Christians could grab hold of this, this one concept, it would change the whole church of Jesus Christ. We would be fighting the right enemy. And, and here's something said by a, a, a extremely intelligent person. When you fight the wrong enemy, you can never win the battle. I said that. <laughs> I do a lot of marriage counseling. And I've never done marriage counseling where the two individuals that are married are hostile to each other for all different types of reasons. One of the hardest things to get them to see is that they have to stop fighting each other and stop fighting the enemy that's trying to destroy their marriage. In every scenario, you, you get fired unjustly, spiritual issue, not your boss. All kinds of issues of, of offense that come through families. All kinds of issues of illness and, and all anxieties and fears. They're all spiritually based. We fight them with spiritual weapons. If the Jews had fought their enemies with spiritual weapons, they all would have died. They needed swords. They needed breastplates. They needed helmets. They needed all those things. If we use those, we lose. When you stab your, your brother, your sister, your wife, your, your husband, you lose. When you fight with spiritual weapons, you win. Our last point, third point today, is this. While we are not yet in the promised land, we in fact are in the land of promises. God doesn't leave us in the desert with just weapons. He leaves us in the desert with promises. Herbert Lockyer, a minister and author, was highly respected for his knowledge of the Bible. Billy Graham said this about Pastor Lockyer. Dr. Lockyer was unquestionably one of the spiritual giants of our century, and his prolific writings will continue to make an impact on countless Christians for generations to come if the Lord tarries. So you're wondering, what does Dr. Lockyer have to have with the promised land? Well, he wrote a book called All the Promises in the Bible. You know how many promises there are in the Bible? 7,487 promises. Come on. 7,487 promises. And here's what, that's great, right? But here's what's really great. This is why the New Testament is so awesome. In, first, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. So through him, we say our amen 
to the glory of God. Let me tell you, there's a lot of promises in the Old Testament, but they were fulfilled in reality in the New Testament, in that, this new covenant of Jesus Christ. We have the ability to not only claim God's promises, but to receive God's promises. See, you and I are not in the promised land yet, but we have this amazing ability in our desert time to claim these thousands of promises to allow us to live victoriously here on this earth. Peter says this about God's promises. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So, I don't know about you, but I love the promises of God. And I don't know about you, but I go through some really tough desert experiences from time to time. I battle some things, and I have to tell you, it's everything I can do to keep my, my understanding. You know, it, this is not where we fight our battles. You know, this is where we fight our battles, in our spirit. And, and we, get con- we get confused. This is where we fight them. We're thinking about this. We're thinking about that. We're so offended by this. And just these thoughts run through our mind. We're fearful. We have anxiety. It just, it's all up here. But these promises are spiritual and they're attainable for us as we recognize that we fight spiritual battles and these promises assist us in winning. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my, one of my all-time favorites. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, says submit, but I do acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I say direct your straight, I, direct your path. I'm King James guy for memorization. But, but this is so important. The reason the Jews didn't get into the promised land was because they didn't trust God. This is how we claim so many of God's promises. I know my understanding of things has been so wrong so many times. I need to listen to him. I've wandered. Have you ever wandered off the path? God has this way of making it straight for you. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I I was getting wound up about today and some other things in my life. And I woke up in the middle of the night and, and God just said to me, hey, remember, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Yeah, that's a good one. I remember that now, God. Romans 8, 28. Every, you should know this. All things what? Work together for the good of those who what? Love God. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Which is one of the reasons, by the way, that everything you claim doesn't always come true. Or it doesn't come true in your timing. Because what works together for good is the fact that God's plan is working in your life. And guess what? Sometimes your life has to go through some difficult times to reach someone else. There's an intersection that goes on sometimes that God knows about that you don't know about. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I love this one too. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and remember Thank him for his answers. Then you will experience God's peace. And that exceeds anything. One of the uh, translations says that the human mind can understand. His peace will guide your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
See, you can't not worry about everything. I will tell you that. I think this is reversed. Okay, you got to pray about everything. The lack of worry comes after you pray. And now for the greatest promise of all. This is the mother of all promises. In fact, this promise opens the door to all the other promises. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we wouldn't perish. We'd have eternal life. That allows you and me to claim the other promises. But I know there are people here, and I know there are people out there, and I know there are people that are going to listen to this somewhere in the future, and you need these promises. But I will tell you, they're not for you. They're not going to work unless you accept this promise. The Bible says that unless we accept Christ as our Savior, that we don't have the ability to look forward to a promised land, and we don't have the, the ability to claim the promises of God. And all it, all it takes, it's not a course, it's nothing, nothing like that. Romans uh, says this, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. All you have to do today, all you have to do today, if you're sitting here and you have to say, Ed, I've never, ever formally accepted Christ, you can do that today, and then all you have to do is tell somebody. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell Pastor Greg. Tell anybody. Preferably, obviously, someone who is saved. But you can do that. If you do that today and you're here, please come up after. I have a book to give you, Living in Christ. If you're out there, you can go to our website, email us. No matter when you listen to this, we'd love to get that book to you. So, I'd like to close with the ending of the song that I said I would bring in at the end. While I've run this earth for many years, if there's one thing I know, there's nowhere this side of heaven where streets are made of gold. I've long laid down my grand illusions, looking forward toward the day that I'll be home. I won't give up on this race. Broken, but I still have faith that this old life is all part of the plan. And I can feel it in my soul. One day I'll stand before the throne with nothing left but hope in these two hands. Through all these seasons, I'm still believing. You're my promised land. See, I hope today, if you take nothing out of this message, that you will remember that there is one enemy or one group of enemies, and they're all spiritual, they're all demonic, they're all satanic. And their goal is to try and rob you of the joy of knowing that you fight these battles with the spirit and with spiritual weapons. You don't fight people. You don't fight situations. You don't give in to the worry, the anxiety, the fear that this world tries to bring on us. You will start to believe and accept the promises of God are really for you. You may not be in heaven. You may not be in your promised land at this point, but you are able to claim the promises of God. Maybe not your timing, but God's timing. You'll have every one of them as you have faith and you believe. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, the hardest thing in winning a battle is when we're confused about who the enemy is. If we fight the wrong enemy and we kill them, we've done nothing to further 
our peace, our joy, our, our prosperity. So Lord, would you help me today when I leave here that I would not see any person or situation as my enemy? Lord, I would not see the things that happen to me that are negative as the enemy, but I would be able to declare that the enemy is who you tell me he is, and I can stand against him. You say, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. You said that Satan is defeated. So, Father, I pray for that. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't become accustomed to being defeated. That we would claim these promises and know that no matter how long we might struggle through something, that you have an end in mind and we can declare your promises are true and right. So, Father, thank you today that for those that accepted that promise of salvation, that they will make that known to someone today. Lord, guide us, lead us through this week. I pray that in Jesus, your holy, precious name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Have a wonderful uh, day. And uh, if you think of it, pray for the Celtics. All right. <laughs>